1: So hello and welcome to another episode of But Why. Today I am talking to Sunday Times best-selling author Vex King. His first book, Good Vibes, Good Life, sold over 600,000 copies and his newest book, Healing is the New High, is probably one of the most accessible and down-to-earth self-help books that I've ever read and that actually is a great articulation of Vex King full stop so I hadn't come across Vex till relatively recently and I think we share, we share a literary agent that's it so then I came across his Instagram account and just thought that he's a guy who talks sense he talks about yeah, trying to improve yourself but not in a way that's that feels highfalutin or for appearances or full of cliches. Just as a man who's trying to make his life better by improving himself. All of this was before I'd had the pleasure of my conversation with him that you're gonna hear today when I learned more about his life and the amazing journey he's been on from a child growing up where money was really tight, where they didn't know what, where the next meal was coming from, to a guy who has, has worked his way into a place where he's, he's really having a hugely positive impact on loads and loads of people. I adored our chat and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here is Vex King. I'm gonna come in with a really weird thing straight away, but I feel I need to get this off my chest. So I'm sitting here in the like in in my house. I'm looking out the window, but I've got these shutters and I've just watched a guy go through our bins, put out a cardboard box, fine, and then like empty a load of stuff from in his clothes, so like shampoo he's obviously stolen a load of stuff and it's just like I just feel really so, weird. For so him. you've
0: got you've got stolen goods in your your bin,
1: No, he's now got the box and filled the box, emptied, like, pulled it all out from his trousers, in his sleeves, like, loads and loads and loads of stuff. But, like, right in our front garden, and then he's walked off with it in his box. And it's like, oh. That's just... It's quite a mad thing to have witnessed.
0: Yeah, it's strange. Like, how do you respond to that? (laughs)
1: Yeah, because I'm like, you've you've just committed a crime, but for you to be in that place... Yeah. I like feel empathetic for him, but also to do it like so, it's so broad daylight. Obviously, it's like one in the afternoon, bright sunny day, and and my roads, you know, lots of people walking
0: by. Did he see you watching him? Well,
1: I can't tell if he could see me because I've got shutters. So, I think he did in the end. But no, I mean, and then I was like, stop watching. But you can't stop watching because it's a thing (laughs) to have seen
0: yeah well, oh, that is that's an interesting start to your afternoon
1: it is and like, like especially when oh, it's not really related but it is a bit <laughs> because you know i do my instant reaction when i look at him it's just like oh man nobody yeah. wants to be filling your clothes with with stolen goods and going through someone's bins do they like how, what's his yeah. story how how's he ended up there and and how does he make his way out of it? I guess which is me now seamlessly segueing <laughs> into you and and your tell me a bit about your story and and in time we're going to talk about self healing but yeah tell me your story
0: yeah so um my life's kind of been difficult from the get go um, my dad died when I was six months old. Um, my mum was pretty new to the country so she was still picking up the English language and we've so I've got two sisters um older sisters and so she's got three kids um dad's just passed away she's still kind of making herself feel at home while taking care of the kids and I'm six months so me and my sisters have a two-year difference between us so you know they're young um and (laughs) Yeah she's just you know you know, really struggling and then she, we've got well she's got a business with a family member who turns out to be a little bit abusive that then goes bankrupt and then we find ourselves homeless. So for three years we're floating about moving to different housing shelters, living in hotels, uh, living with family members but the thing with family members and they were so kind for taking us in but a lot of those members had also just moved to the country Mm. just had kids and they were starting their own lives and there we were or my mom was with three really young kids and it was almost like intrusive for them Mm -hmm. so we never really felt like we belonged in these places Mm. and during like for example the hostel experience you know we'd experience like screaming and horrors and uh, like blood all over the staircase and smashed glass. And even as we approached the housing shelter t- to make our way in, like, you know, there was just some really strange characters that, you know, you were kind of a little bit wary of. And I was really young at that time, but I can mm-hmm. still remember feeling the certain way, like there was, mm-hmm. we were in danger. Um, and then finally, you know, we had a bit of a, well, a stroke of luck I would say and we were given a council home mm-hmm. and we mo- moved into that home and you know it finally felt like things, things were changing but the, the people around us in that area were so racist that as soon as we stepped outside it was almost like go back to your own country, you don't belong here oh. and at midnight um, so our, our neighbors, so it was it was a house of like 10 to 15 teenagers. Honestly, I don't know how many people were in that house,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but there was a lot. And they would like party and drink every weekend. And there was the same pattern on a Saturday night. They would get completely hammered. You'd hear drumming and then they'd knock on our door. Like and this was at like, like after midnight as well, and I, I again I'm still young and I can still remember this very clearly. Yeah. And they'd be shouting stuff through the letterbox like, "Open up, you you know effing and blinding, racist remarks, get out the country." And once we had a washing machine outside our front lawn, and uh, they got fireworks and they put it in the washing machines, so of course it like exploded, and it was just it was just almost like tragedy after tragedy, and it was just pain and fear after pain and fear and it just kept repeating and it was like we never felt welcome when we were moving around when we were homeless and then we moved to an area and again we don't feel welcome and i used to just approach every single day and you know although we had this council estate home my mom was struggling so poverty was a massive theme throughout our lives and she struggled to put food on the table and some days we weren't sure if we were going to get to eat. So Mm. there was all the kind of racial abuse and trauma that was created externally outside of our home. But then there was also things going on
1: within the home.
0: And because we were young and, you know, my mum's frustrated, she's stressed out, she's Mm. just lost her husband, young kids, finally got in a home. You know, she's trying to, like, reassure us that everything's going to be okay and the neighbours probably aren't so bad even though they're telling us to basically do one. Um, But at the same time, you know, she's stressed because she doesn't have enough money to put food on the table and there's all this stuff going on. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I need to get out of this. I need to do something to help myself and my family change things around. And every time I would speak and I did have friends in the area and every time I would speak to people, even certain adults within the area or around me, because they were witnessing the same kind of suffering and anguish that I was witnessing they didn't believe there was anything better out there for any of us they were like this is this is the norm this is life this is what you know God's given you and this is what you have to accept and I didn't like that idea because I thought this can't be my life forever and it wasn't until kind of my teenage years where you know, the internet was around a 56k dial-up when, you know, you, you, you your mum would pick up the phone and you can hear her and she's like, you know, get the internet, I'm trying to ring someone. <laughs> ring someone. But um during that time, I remember going on a... So I, I'm a really big music fan and I used to go on a hip-hop forum and I was always interested in life and philosophy and there was this um, section of the website called the Knowledge Corner or Centre or something and people mm. would talk about like science, um, different schools of thought, again, philosophy, uh, just different ideas to kind of like improve your life. And people mentioned this book um, and the book was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And they were like, this book has changed my life. Bruce Lee read it, he changed his life. And I was a martial arts fan. So I resonated with Bruce Lee and I thought, I need to read this book, but there's a problem. I hate reading. I don't like reading at all. Even in school, I hated reading books. I was, I just wasn't interested in them, but I thought if this is going to make my life better, let me try and read this book Mm -hmm. and see what it's about. So at the time, obviously, you know, we're still experiencing financial difficulty and it kind of relates to what you said. So I got a copy of the book somewhat illegally. Um up the internet. Not that I condone that, but you know, at the time mm, yeah. I wouldn't have had the money to even, you know, be able to buy a book. But I got got, got a copy of the book. I read it and I thought, you know what? There is something in this book and it inspired me and it kind of created this internal shift within me. And my mind started perceiving the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. I just had some kind of newfound faith, I think, that there was better out there for me. And because of this book, I started researching into athletes that I kind of idolised at the time. I started looking into scientists like Albert Einstein. I thought like, you know, what is it about these people that make them who they are? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I started seeing the same patterns within, within these people. And, you know, a lot of it was driven by belief, belief that there's better belief in their ability belief in just themselves and you know the idea that that kind of stuck with me was that a positive mind will or can lead to a positive life and I thought Mm -hmm. right that's great I'm going to use that that's going to help me change my life and over the years things did change but I think I fell into the trap of positive thinking because, you know, I completely endorse positive thinking Mm -hmm. as a way. Because even rationally, if you think about it, if the life ahead of you, if you perceive it as positive, you're going to say, my life's positive. So rationally, you'd say, yeah, a positive mind does give you a positive life because Mm -hmm. you interpret the life in front of you in a Mm -hmm. positive way. But I think the the problem we have now is that people try and force positive thinking. So they just Mm -hmm. try and neglect everything going on in their lives and mean like, you know what? My house is burning, but it's okay. I'll just stay put and think mm-hmm. away the fire. You know, it, it's not a call to action. It's just going to disappear. And I kind of
1: mm.
0: fell into that trap. You know, I was just trying to suppress all these emotions that were there based on the experiences that I've had yeah. in the past. Yeah, and I just tried to suppress everything and be like, no, I've got to think positive because I need to manifest a better life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I actually found... After everything I've been through, it was after when my life started getting better, I find myself at, at my lowest point because wow. I suppressed so much to accept this idea of positive thinking, giving you a positive life. And I thought, this isn't genuine positivity. This mm-hmm. is force. This is me creating some sort of utopia within my mind that everything's okay. And I'm just mm-hmm. living this fairy tale. And a lot of it came with, came from neglecting how i felt inside and i thought obviously positive thinking is important no one's going to deny that even people Mm -hmm. that are kind of you know all for like toxic positivity no one's going to deny that positive thinking isn't Mm -hmm. going to help you it's not going to empower you but there must be a better approach to this and that's where i kind of led to the inner healing journey and a more kind of authentic self love journey rather than mm-hmm. one that's just like everything's okay and if i feel bad you know i can just ignore it i can turn a blind eye to it and it, it it'll, it'll go away it doesn't go away it it's within our system and it's almost like keeping poison within your system because eventually it's going to catch up it's going to start doing more harm than good and if we suppress something it has to spring outward it's like pushing on that spring right you push on the spring and you keep pushing it trying to get rid of it and then eventually, one day, you're just going to explode, and that's how I found myself. And at my lowest point, that's what happened. I suppressed so much. I was triggered by a certain event, and I thought, you know what? I've I've lost the will to live here, and I would never wish that on anyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I promised myself after after that particular point in my life that I would find a more authentic way
1: mm-hmm.
0: to grow. And when I do, I would I will continue to share. My ideas and knowledge with the world, and that's kind of what's led me to where I am today. That I'm just, I'm just sharing my lessons and experiences in the most authentic way I know.
1: Mm Hmm. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've got wow. First of all, I'm so sorry that you lived through all that trauma that you lived through. I mean, it's it's a shit hand to be dealt, right? And it's hard, and it's and for your mum. You know, I'm sitting here as a mum of three trying to possibly comprehend how how that was for her because it's, yeah, it must just have been horrendous. Um, But the way you ended up in talking about this positivity, I'm like nodding along because I am like of the school of realism. You know, the only way you can be genuinely happy is to accept that life isn't all happiness, that Mm. that hard things happen, for me anyway. And Mm. I always... it's very difficult then if you get people who appear to be happy go lucky easy come easy go personally I would suggest that that's a bit of a privilege if your life has become been you know with all the best will in the world you can shit things happen to good people they do life life isn't fair and so so you can't go around go oh you know and of course we should go into situations and try and see the best of them I think that's what we're agreeing about yeah but um I had Nicola Perra from the, histi- the holistic psychologist on and she talks about the dark night of the soul that yeah if we suppress and suppress and suppress at some point it's going to get you and that might manifest in a mental health issue or if she believes it comes out in physical health which goes back to you carrying it in the body so these gut people who look like everything's happening for them and then their back suddenly go at 40 that is because you're holding all this thing that you're that you're, you're not. A, observing and the problem is once you start observing yourself once you start being real with yourself it is uncomfortable you know this work though positive is once you've ripped the lid off it or take whatever it is once you're in self-healing work it yeah you can't really stop can you
0: no no it's um you know nicole's amazing and i i love her work um her book yeah. and it's everything she shares online. But she's completely right. We I think with social media now as well, and I even, you know, sometimes question myself, I have to look at my own work and think, am I misleading people? Because, yeah. you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know, some some years back, I really pushed this phrase good vibes only. Um, and it came from a lot of my spiritual understanding of mm-hmm. Um, holding a higher vibrational state. So just being kind of more energetic, but being being happy and that those feelings get in return to you. And I, mm-hmm. I completely believe in that. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: what it wasn't saying was that you can only accept good vibes because mm-hmm. that is misleading. Yeah. Because the world, you know, the world's, ne- there's no one in the world can, that can say that they've had a perfect life and a perfect day where nothing has disrupted them. Soon as you go out into the world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's challenges. There's you know we can't control the way people um, interact with us, what they think of us. They might judge us. They might talk to us in a rude manner. All of those things are gonna affect us in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. And what I find inner healing does is actually, it doesn't make those problems go away because, you know, you can't control those things. Those things will always exist, but it helps us respond to those things
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in the best way we can. And it also doesn't mean that we're never going to feel pain. Like
1: Mm
0: -hmm. one of my teachers explains this beautifully and he says that, you know, pain is the the feeling, right? So Mm -hmm. We can feel pain, but suffering is the response. And with pain, there will always be some suffering. But when you go to the cinema, you go to a movie and it's like, maybe say it's it's a romance or something, and you start crying, right? Mm
1: -hmm. That's
0: emotional pain that you're feeling through the characters or through the screen, but you're not carrying the suffering, which is all the anguish that comes with Mm -hmm. it. So actually, what inner healing is, is basically getting to that stage where we can... Feel the pain. Is the pain's real? It's going to be felt with us, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. We're always going to feel that pain, but it's having less of the suffering because mm. we've responded it, responded to it in a way that's mm. more empowering. It's creating mm. more mental resilience with our, within ourselves and knowing that no matter what happens, we're, we're going to be okay because mm. maybe we've been through this before and we've been okay, or because now we've got the tools and resources to ensure that we're not going to get knocked even lower and sometimes it's just simply ba- bouncing back it's like okay I've I've felt crappy for five minutes and yeah. now I'm okay and I'm, I'm going back into the world and that thing's not gonna you know be something I think about for the next 10 days in a row mm-hmm. I'm okay now but you know acceptance has to be at the forefront of it because not everything's going to be okay and the quicker you accept it the, the quicker you can actually move on from it
1: I couldn't agree more so there's so much here like when, when you feel the pain, the key is to feel that pain, to feel the feeling, to sit with it, not go, you know, I'm going to mask it, I'm going to scroll out of it, I'm going to drink out of it, I'm going to do whatever I can, feel it, and then not allow yourself the narrative on top of it. That's what, And that's like in my worst times is when, when you go into victim mode or when you go into, yeah, you the story you continue telling yourself about it that's the difference isn't it because yeah we've got to acknowledge that bad things happen and going back to your upbringing you know no one could have said you know cheer up it's all going to be good because (laughs) you weren't having having a good time you're having a bad time but the difference is you didn't sit in that place of of this is this is my lot this is forever that's that's the shift isn't it
0: yeah. And I think even at the time like for example, I talk about gratitude a lot now, mm-hmm. like being thankful for what you have. Um, and then if you compare it to my past, well, from, if I compared it to my past, what I have now and what I had then, I think, yeah, there's so much more to feel grateful for. But at the same time, I think it's dangerous sometimes to say that I need to feel grateful. So I'm going to deny how I feel. <laughs> the whole point throughout life is to really acknowledge that feeling, because if you feel a certain thing, that feeling is telling you, is bringing your attention to mm-hmm. something that might need to change. And that is the key. Self-awareness is the key. It's not, de- denying is not actually going to add to any kind of spiritual growth. And I think this is, this sometimes gets lost with spirituality. You know, spirituality and practicality aren't actually different to each other. There's a bridge and the bridge is, it's just being real in your spiritual journey. <laughs> That's what yeah. it is. And I think people kind of lose their way. sometimes we read certain quotes and memes, and I've done it myself, and you think yeah that's that's true, and that's gospel, and I'm just gonna take that as it is, and you start reciting stuff, but you know rationally it doesn't make sense like you know if you, if you deny something, how can then it help you grow and you know, you're just squashing it well yeah. what exists actually starts persisting, right, and sometimes it's like um." A negative feeling like imagine it's a ball it comes into your hands and you try and get rid of it so you just throw it into the air really fast and it's literally just going to come back down or if you throw it against a wall the faster you throw it the harder the impact when it when it comes back so getting rid of it's not the answer it's always changing your response to that particular yeah. thing or are feeling and acceptance is is definitely the first aid when we feel a certain way but What really, I think, creates the growth is the inquiry. So why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. Is there something that's happened to me that's kind of behind this particular feeling? And that's, I think, the the real key to inner healing is getting down to the emotional history, which is linked Mm -hmm. to that particular emotion that you're, you're feeling inside. Because I found that even with positive thinking, I think you can always reframe a situation. So if someone mm-hmm. walks into you, they nudge you, and, you know, your initial thought is like, oh my God, like, why did they push me? And you might feel a little bit angry. And then you might reframe it and say, you know what, I'm not hurt, so I'm okay. And maybe that person's going through a tough day. I don't know. Almost like how you, you reframed the person,
1: mm-hmm. you know, that
0: stolen, stole this good. Um, but if a thought keeps persisting, so if there's a thought that you can't continue to respond to and it keeps persisting at the back of your mind or it comes to the front of your mind and you seem to can't get rid of it. You try to reframe the situation and it still keeps popping up and popping up and popping up. That thought is always going to be governed by a highly convicted belief that you hold deep down. And those beliefs are always formed by experiences that you've had in your past, whether you can remember them or not, they're mm-hmm. always shaped by those things that have happened to us in the past. and that's why we believe what we do. You know, belief systems yeah. our truths and our truths come from our experiences, our encounters with people, events, things around us. and sometimes, especially when they've been formed when we we're young, maybe we didn't have the right attachment style to our parents. Um, you know, we've never questioned them. We've just lived our lives on autopilot without questioning why we think the way we do, why we believe what we do, why we do the things that we do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's why with the inner healing, like it, you have to get real. If you don't get real, you're not going to heal. I think the Jay Z that said it is. He said, "You got to, you got to reveal it to heal it, and that's the key: is to to reveal that mm-hmm. that particular thing deep within inside of you." Um, rather than just trying to wipe it away and pretend it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so much here. But that whole the first time I ever understood that your thoughts can lie to you, it's just like what? Yeah. And especially if you've got some some deep rooted belief about yourself or the world, and then you've spent you know in my case thirty eight years piling on a narrative onto that. What what isn't a truth can feel so. Is so truthful to you that it's really difficult to to see it otherwise, and then you begin to peel it back, and you're like, "Uh oh!" And the problem is, every time you do that, the whole world shifts on its axis a bit, doesn't it? And you're like, "Oh, everything I thought I knew about my because also we believe we know ourselves best, and then you suddenly have something shone at you, and you're like, "Oh, wow!" And also, you change. It's it's actually something important that you've just said is that. We think
0: we know ourselves best, but a lot of the time, who we think we are is based on what we think others think we are. So it's not actually, it's not actually who we think we are. It's the responses from other people that we've used to create an identity for ourselves. So in fact, we're actually more disconnected from ourselves than ever because our connection to ourselves, or our image of ourselves, our ego, is based on other people's projections onto to to us, and that's
1: oh, been life changing for me. <laughs> um, who is it? I can't believe I can't remember his name. He wrote *The Power of Now*. Um,
0: uh, Eckhart Tolle.
1: Uh, yeah, and he was on Russell Brand's podcast. He's like, "Think about the voice of your ego. Whose voice is that?" And you're just like, "What? It might not be mine." And you're just like, "Oh my word." what yeah. am
0: i left with <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting i absolutely love Eckhart Tolle and you know all these people that talk about who we are our essential nature and this is where it can get airy-fairy and people yeah. like what well, is no, yeah like there's no way to prove that like what do you mean you're just consciousness what does that mean but just like you said when when you if you can there's a relationship between subject and object i look at you And I know that you are not me. I look at my computer screen or my microphone right now. And I know that this is my microphone. This is me. So I can't Mm -hmm. be the microphone. But when we go into our mental space within our heads, we can actually start witnessing our thoughts. Right? Mm -hmm. We know that this thought's there. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: to know that thought means we have to be separate from that thought. We have Mm -hmm. to be watching it. So who's the thing or person that's watching that thought? that must be us not the thought itself right so then you think wait who am i but then how can you use thought to define who you are if the thought isn't you so then it gets even more complicated so then what people especially in the spiritual world just accept that you know who we are consciousness awareness whatever you want to call it it's just this presence and you can't really define who it is or what it is but essentially it's not who we are. And what when we go even deeper, we can compare ourselves to the sun, right? So what we, we Here think... Here we go. He's going for it. <laughs> in, our, in our everyday lives, we go we go through our lives and someone says something about us. So someone might say, Vex, you know, your book's rubbish. And I think, and you're a terrible writer. So I, I listen to that and I think, oh God, like why do they think that? Oh no, my God, my book might be... And I take it as a reflection of me and because mm-hmm. I take it as a reflection of me, it affects me emotionally Mm -hmm. right but if we are just pure awareness we have to think of ourselves as something that just illumines the world around us so within the space of our mind this awareness illumines each and every thought that we have the thought is in us but this awareness is just you know bringing light to that thought so we then become aware of it now what else illumines the world around us, the sun? When the sun shines on a beautiful beach or when the sun shines on, say, loads of litter, the litter d- d- doesn't de- define the sun's rays in the same way the beach doesn't, doesn't define the sun's ray. The sun's just shining regardless. And as you move through your spiritual experience and start realizing that actually I am that awareness and I can't be defined by what are the, the things yeah other people the things that i encounter even if something bad happens to me like that thing Mm -hmm. isn't actually me it's not my true nature Mm -hmm. and these thoughts i'm having that i think define me aren't actually me either i'm just the thing that kind of lights all these things up then actually i'm unaffected by Mm them yeah and you just go out into the world with this kind of newfound sense of self because the self here is not me is a physical body it's not my thoughts it's not my emotions it's not any perceptions it's just this awareness this thing that's shining light on everything and that's always going to be there but again to get to that stage is is a process of evolution is one thing reading about things like this
1: mm-hmm.
0: but actually feeling it and knowing that this is your innate nature is a completely different mm-hmm. and i think that's why this you know this journey of inner healing kind of leads you to that place But for some people, it will take a lifetime. And for others, you know, they might not reach that place in this lifetime. And that's completely okay. It's just doing the best you can to work on yourself. And that's why the inner healing journey never really ends in that sense. Because every single day, we're trying to shed these layers of distortion and these different layers of perception that we might have, you know, got from our experiences, these events or just other people and Mm -hmm. try to use to to define who we are when in fact there's this sense of self, there's this innate energy within us that can't really be defined by any of these things and I think that's where the inner healing journey really leads to and that's quite a, a spiritual path inward.
1: And now a quick advert for my book, How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids and Have an Honest Conversation with Yourself. But Why is now published. I repeat, But Why is now published. I am so proud of it. In there is a whole section on complex feelings that I think is a really great step stone for kids for this kind of conversation. So please do go and order yourself a copy. It's available in all good bookshops and also available as an audio version if that is your thing. What you don't want to do is people go, okay, this is really abstract or this is like hippie shit. This isn't for me because this, all of this interacts with the most mundane parts of your daily life. You know, this is, as you go to the supermarket to pick up milk, it's it's like every single moment. And I think when you hear hear self-healing, you go, oh, that's, you know, that must be brilliant things, but like meditation and yoga and yada, yada, yada and it's, it's really just about getting to know yourself and working out how to exist in the world isn't it
0: exactly and just taking care of yourself and your needs like I always say to people like I've written a book on you know inner healing Nicole's written a book on inner healing um Oprah's recently released a book on inner healing with I think it's Dr Bruce Perry like all great books but all ideas of how we can potentially heal but it doesn't always work for everyone like meditation Mm -hmm. you know it's something i completely swear by but meditation might not feel right to you Mm -hmm. um something else might feel right to you that is a form of meditation because meditation is just basically concentration being in a state of conscious awareness but i say to people like you can that can happen while you're you know washing the dishes you can be completely focused Mm -hmm. on one activity completely lose those voices in your head and just be doing that particular thing that can be a form of meditation but it's finding what works works for you so there is no right or wrong path there's only ideas there's only tools and resources that we can use to help us on our in on our in, in a healing journey and sometimes i think we think that this is the right way and this is the only way to do it and then we get frustrated that it's not working or it's too hard and I think to myself, well, if you're, if you're healing yourself, but it's creating stress, then the tool's a source of stress, not a source of healing. Yeah, and, so
1: move.
0: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like inner healing's going to be difficult, especially when you have to face like the darker aspects of what you've been through or your mm-hmm. personality. It's not always going to be easy. I mean, you know, living in kind of the bliss of ignorance is, you know, much easier or just, oh, you know... Yes. <laughs> or just, you act- that? <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's even addictions and, you know, feeding something that helps you forget how you're, you know, how you're actually feeling deep inside, numbing that pain, feeding an addiction to alcohol, work, sex, social media, whatever it is, that's often easier. But we all know deep inside that those things come with negative consequences, and mm-hmm. it can fi- we can find relief almost like a warm hug in the moment. But after a while, we have these negative consequences, whether they're withdrawals or makes us disconnected from like our family members. For example, if you're a workaholic, you might not ever come home, or you might come home for a bit, and you know your your spouse might complain, you might not have time for your kids. Like all of this stuff has negative consequences. And we almost use these things as a distraction and they make us feel okay in these moments and we keep feeding them knowing that they've got negative implications. But really what we need to be doing is start getting down to the root because every single one of these addictions or things that we use as a distraction is related to a pattern of pain and we need to work out where that pattern came from and what was behind it so we can start working on it but confronting or even getting down to that particular pattern
1: Mm -hmm.
0: can be overwhelming because sometimes we we have to face things that we've tried to avoid for years or pretend that didn't exist again it comes down to suppression we try and suppress stuff and just act like our life's okay or if we continue our path eventually it's going to go away but it's always going to be there deep within the recesses of our subconscious minds so even our bodies, like I think you said this earlier and um, I think you referred to Nicole, like even our body, it records, mm-hmm. you know, everything that we've been through. So if there's some kind of trauma, we're going to hold on to it. And we know that. I, I, There was an experience when I was younger, and this is going to sound so strange, but this is why I know that our body holds on to it, mm-hmm. is... I can't remember how old I was, but this was one of the times when we were living with um, a family member and it was my uncle and he owned a shop. And I was upstairs and like my mum, my aunt, my uncle and my sisters were downstairs on the shop floor. And there was like stairs leading towards the shop floor. And actually my mum was upstairs at the time and then she heard all this screaming. So she told me to stay put and rushed down the stairs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I knew something was wrong, but I didn't quite get it. I didn't quite gauge what was what was going on and then I moved to the top of the stairs because there's a doorway and you can see what's happening
1: mm-hmm.
0: and on the shop floor I see like two guys pulling on my mum's hair my aunt's hair my sister screaming my uncle with blood all over his nose and um a guy with a gun to his head Oh and I'm like oh my god like what's going on I'm completely panicking but at the same time I'm like I need to protect my family so my, my fi- fists are clenched and I start making my way down like with all this adrenaline pumping through my body and then my mum quickly rushes she sees me she gets away from the guy that's like pulling on her hair and she's just like stay put make sure you stay there go back upstairs you can't be here and I'm like like, what do I do? i like, I need yeah. to obey my mum's, obviously, my mum's orders. But at the same time, I want to protect her. And then I, I go back up. And luckily, the gun actually wasn't used on my uncle. But that event was so traumatic because I was so young. I must have been no older than five. And it was so traumatic. And I didn't realise it was traumatic until I started perceiving threat when I wasn't in danger. And I remember these guys, they wore... um like black leather jackets. And I didn't realise that every time I saw someone with a black leather jacket, and it might have just been a fashion, you know, they might just like biker jackets. I like like biker jackets. But I thought they were dangerous. So where did that perception come from? And my body was building anxiety, looking at these people, and it was connected to that particular event. And my body was holding onto that for that whole time without me realising. And I thought, you know, this is nothing. And it's not until I started becoming aware of that and start addressing that pattern and started rewriting it and think actually like, like that was just one single event mm-hmm. and yet yeah, it was very nice and I didn't rationalize what was going mm-hmm. on but now I'm an adult and my brain's fully developed okay. I can rationalize what went on mm-hmm. through that moment. and not all people that wear leather jackets are bad and not all people are bad and we're not always mm-hmm. going to be in danger so I lived you know perceiving threat for you know a good 20 years of my life Just thinking Mm. that something was gonna go wrong when it when it might not have or when it wasn't gonna go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that built all this anxiety that made me afraid, it made, you know, evoked fear inside of me. And it's just, you know, there's always clues within ourselves, and our our bodies, you Mm. know, one of the biggest clues if we feel a certain way around certain people. And don't get me wrong, you can feel anxious within the moment. If you've got a presentation, it's not necessarily related to a traumatic event, it's not necessarily you know, stress is a normal thing. Every day is stress. Of course. But if there's something that repeats itself over and over again, mm-hmm. there's probably some kind of pattern that's repeating itself over yeah. and over again. And every pattern is formed by something that's happened to you in the past. We always say to ourselves, like, you know, what's wrong with me? But what we need to start asking ourselves is what's happened to me or what hasn't happened to me in the past that's making me think that mm-hmm. something is wrong?
1: Yeah, and, and it just breaks my heart the thought that so many people, everybody's carrying around this stuff, and yeah, numbing it, and yeah, carrying pain, and it's and it can be solved. I often think that of like our parents' generation, it's like they don't want to do therapy and they don't want to go into this because they don't want to open a can of worms. And it's just like, oh, but you don't you don't want to go for the rest of your life carrying these. these and the problem. With something like that, with, it, it builds, doesn't it? Like for me, whenever my anxiety, I, from nowhere, I suddenly developed a fear of going on the tube. This is years ago, like literally no. from nowhere. I've done it for ages and then suddenly, yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a control thing. And then what happened was I then would dread going on the tube. So then I'd have to. Go for an elaborate thing of getting water and chewing gum and so suddenly my half an hour tube journey was extended to the 15 minutes before and then right. you're like and i need to go to the loo and then and suddenly what was just a part of my day that that spread and spread and it, it, the wound kind of festers doesn't it and before it you does. know it you're like oh well i can't go anywhere that's where i'd have to travel by tube i'll only stay here and i just over the period of six months i was like oh wow suddenly what was just a feeling anxious when we're stuck at the red light becomes a thing that that is really limiting my life. And only by then going, Ah, this is this is something's off here, could yeah. I go and, and do do the work to move out of that. And then um, well, I was gonna say I'm now fine on the tube. Don't know, I haven't been on the <laughs> tube for a while. But um, yeah, it's just the problem is if we don't if we don't acknowledge and work in this stuff they they spiral the wrong way you're yeah i don't really i don't really think you can miraculously spiral yourself out of these things i don't think
0: i think i think one thing you can't do is you can't change what's happened to you and mm-hmm. you're never going to be the same person you were before the never. trauma but that doesn't mean that your your life can't be lighter in the present and can't be brighter mm-hmm. in the future mm-hmm. um, i think it i think it was actually dr bruce perry that said that you know the brain's malleable and you know we can recondition we can create new thought patterns within our brain mm-hmm. but you have to think of the brain almost like a, a like a piece of um aluminium maybe perhaps that you bend you can bend it out of place right and mm-hmm. say that's the trauma And then you can try and bend it into place, but it's never going to be the same as it was. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean, yeah, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that has to limit your your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just literally as simple as it is, it's just managing your life and managing these emotions that feel unpleasant and these things that we've gone through. And that's what kind of inner healing in a sense is. It's not just getting to this place where nothing bothers you and you know, you deny your past and be like, that That didn't affect me. At the time, it did. It did affect you. And, you know, it did change the way you perceive the world. But can we do something in the now that helps us move forward with our lives? And it's just mm-hmm. literally just letting go, letting those things not have control over lives. And instead of saying, actually, I'm the one who's in control here not you not my emotional wound that's not going to dictate what i do now it's it's me who's in control and it's getting control over those situations if we continue feeding our triggers like many people do because you know therapy's weird or therapy's this and that you know having all these absurd ideas if we just continue acting on these triggers what we're doing is basically we're practicing these thought patterns and these Mm -hmm. things over and over again creating deeper grooves in our subconscious minds so that actually we're just strengthening these beliefs that we don't want yeah. by ignoring them because they're getting triggered and we're not doing anything about it. We're not trying to intercept this this particular pain pattern. What we're doing is just ignoring it. So it will just keep continuing. It perpetuates. And the more it the more it continues going round and round and round, the bigger it deeps inside of you. And then actually it becomes harder to rewrite that pattern because it's so yeah. deeply ingrained Within us, and that's why it's so important to try at least do the inner healing work. And therapy is a great option. Obviously, there's you know reading. There's other tools and resources like meditation, just your self care routine, anything and everything that nourishes you, helps you form a connection mm-hmm. to yourself, and healthy people around you will help you on your inner healing journey. And it, it just you know it never kind of stops. Yeah,
1: I am thinking oh you know you can't you can't wrap these stuff, things up in in neat ways and i'm thinking oh what what because there's no quick answers here but what are actionable things and as you're talking about self-healing or, or self-care i think something i w- always want to press on people is that we have this very um instagram version of self-care that needs to be elaborate but actually self-care is having a glass of water when you're thirsty it's going to bed when you're tired it's cancelling things when you're feeling overwhelmed and actually all of those things begin to give you the capacity to cope with much bigger things but we and and those are free and they're available and they're they're actionable right now and I think it can yeah when when we talk about these big things trying to give it how to give yourself a good night's sleep is a good start
0: yeah no you're completely right I think What you've said is absolutely spot on. A lot of people ask me to share my kind of morning and evening routine. I'm not realizing that actually these routines are kind of tailored to me and not everyone Mm -hmm. is me. Um, So one thing I've done within my book towards the end of the chapter is I've hopefully from the work in the previous chapters, people have got to really understand themselves and their needs and then they can go on to develop Mm -hmm. a self-care routine that, that works for them. One thing I would say is that with self-care, and I think you basically said this in a nutshell, um, mm. although indirectly, was that to develop self-care, you need to be self-aware. So what do I need in that day, in that moment? I'm tired. I need a good night's sleep. Um i'm feeling thirsty or i need to stimulate my eye maybe i need a glass of water like something like that it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be completely far-fetched it doesn't have to be completely overwhelming um but three things i would always keep in mind is that what's feeding my mind what's feeding my body and what's feeding my soul and trying to build a self-care routine that feeds those kind of things and the self-care routine doesn't need to be like I need to do 10 million things in the morning and 10 million things before I go to sleep like you know you see things and there's that wake up at 5am and I understand the reasons for it but you know that doesn't work for every single person so find things that work for you and make sure they're not things that you have you have to stay committed to every single day because on some days you just might not feel like it you might Mm -hmm. Feel extra stressed. If you're into astrology, the, you know, the energy of the, <laughs> the moon might be affected. Like this Mercury. different things. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's different things that affect your energy and your body mm. and how you feel. So just become aware and do what you that make do things that make you feel at ease in that particular moment. Don't feel pressured to do anything that feels uneasy um, or that creates extra stress. Um, I say this mm. because. Even when it comes to spirituality, there's people that say you have to meditate every single day. And I'm someone that does, right? And I rarely miss Mm -hmm. a day. But if I did miss a day, I would not stress myself out about it. Mm -hmm. But I've seen people stress themselves out Mm -hmm. because I need to meditate. Mm -hmm. So hold on a second. You need to meditate and you're stressed out about it, but meditation helps alleviate that stress. So what's going on here? Actually, what you're doing is you're feeding your ego. And the whole point of meditation is to move beyond these thought forms, beyond the ego Mm -hmm. and feel who you are, your innate nature, when there's kind of no silence, there's no mind chatter. Mm -hmm. So are you actually meditating or have you just created a routine, a habit of meditating where you're not actually meditating? I know people that have been meditating for 25 years and even they will miss days of meditation and yeah. they just respond with, you know what, couldn't do it that day,
1: that's mm-hmm. fine. I'm
0: no less that's enlightened, life. I'm more enlightened, it's just what it is. Again, it comes down to acceptance. And I suppose if there's anything that people take away from this, <laughs> this interview is that acceptance is literally the key, accepting what life Mm-hmm. throws at you accepting how you feel accepting that on some days you might not feel a certain way accepting that some days you might not be able to commit to your self-care routine and that's okay pay mm-hmm. attention to how you feel pay attention to your emotions and just work work with it
1: it's so true i i always think of the like learn to rest not quit I, like exercise is a very big part of my life and For many years, that was quite a disordered relationship because of all you know, because of everything else I was masking. But now I try to remember that I want to move for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter if I miss one day because it's one day in the rest of my lifetime. Whereas if you're committed to these things, where you're like, I must do this for thirty days, and it equals that, you're, it's, it's not, you can't consistently stick at it for forever. Which is the best kind of habits are ones that become part of. Your everyday life without even thinking about it, like you with meditation. And of course, it doesn't yeah. matter if 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 you're. Like, I always think if an extra hour in bed would actually be what your body really needs, then of course that's the right decision. And it, that that doesn't mean that the next day you do that and the next day it's yeah, yeah. it's resting not quite. It?
0: Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, even recently, like I got I kept myself in bed for an extra hour and thinking, you know what, I'm going to wake up a little bit later. But I just knew my body needed it. And I didn't think to myself, yeah. I haven't woken up at the time I should be waking up every single day. Really? Because the thing is, right, if you're, if you're tired, you're going to be less productive anyway. So it doesn't matter how yeah. early you yeah. wake up because, you know, I, I've seen people on Instagram and every single day they'll post a screenshot of what time they woke up. And it's like, it's not about waking up early. It's about, you know, being resourceful in, the, in those hours if you need to be yeah. resourceful. If you need to rest yeah. in those hours, that's completely fine as well. But it's not about i woke up at this time you know what's the purpose behind waking up at that particular time like yeah. that's the, that's the key right you can wake up early and do nothing right you can do i do absolutely nothing because you feel so tired you can just be kind of groggy and just be dozing off like you know that's not productive but you woke up at 5 p.m and that's something to instagram great yeah but, you know i think that's so
1: happen? funny so <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing to myself because i get up very early i get up at five thirty, and um but what the, those people on Instagram aren't showing is that if I'm out for dinner with friends and it gets to like 10 to 10 and my entire body shuts down because I'm so tired, right. like the getting up early works really well for me. But it isn't all like the Instagram selfie. It means sacrifice at the other end. So it's like right. we've all got to be realistic about what this looks like. Like, yeah. yeah, it's give and take, isn't it? I guess is the point. Do
0: you know what? That's what's amazing about... Um, your work is that you're 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 so honest and authentic about your your kind of journey and you're not trying to sell anything you very, know, like a, like a, <laughs> you're just being very honest about like I'm everything. Saving
1: myself. yeah
0: yeah you have to be yourself and i think we kind of need that more of that on especially on social media like I see it and you know I've I've met people on social media that you know have a personality that they wear online and there's someone else offline and that's them that's completely fine maybe it's to, yeah. you know to do with their branding and business or whatever it is but I think you know we've kind of got this responsibility online as well whether we know it or not especially when our platforms grow and you know we're writing about things offering advice and I think being honest is one of the most valuable gifts that we can give to these people because When we're not honest and we try and sell them some kind of life or, you know, some kind of lifestyle and people think they must be doing that particular thing to be successful or living their dreams or to be happy and then they do those things and then actually feel like, you know, I'm not actually happy. I'm not actually living my dreams. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm struggling today but I'm going to deny it all because these are the things that I need to do. Like, you know, we're misleading those people, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, And that's why I think what you do online I know this interview is about about what you do online, and this is what you do through your work is so so great and so empowering because you're being very honest about who you are and and your journey.
1: Oh, thank you very much. But you know, this is the thing we can all, as you say, shine a light like the sun on things that are we're trying to make work for us. But I cannot have the answer for anyone else apart from myself, and and even then, I haven't got the answers. And that that's the thing when anyone's acting like a preacher of this. It it's changeable what might work for me for today for six months for a year I can guarantee we'll have to pivot and change again in in time so there is no answers and that's I guess why and it's kind of a good way to wind up isn't it, 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 it there is no convenient answers and if if you could just go do this five-step plan for for next six months and you'll be healed god it'd be easy
0: but it's not is it it's not it's not and i'm um, hopefully i've made it clear in my book that you know like healing will look different for every single person um and although i would love if my book helped people and i do believe that it will help people get started yeah. at least on the healing journey but have i got all the answers well who has all the answers because a lot of us are still searching for answers ourselves and i'd happily admit that i'm still searching for answers and all I do is simply share what I've learned or what I believe might help but what might help me mm-hmm. might not help you and might not help other people and it's it's important to be aware of all of that
1: it's so mad though you know think of you on that forum getting your hands on a self help <laughs> book and then there'll be there'll be people that, that you're that version of isn't that absolutely mind blowing
0: it's yeah it's it's just crazy <laughs>
1: I mean, it's like I love full circle it, it, it will be happening, and then hopefully that person will become the next version. I just love that. So three yeah. questions to kind of wind up. What on this? This is like I've got. I'm going to wave your book, but that doesn't really help on audio. <laughs> Can you do a big plug for your for your? Well, you've got two books, in fact, haven't you?
0: Yeah. So I've got two books. The first book is Good Vibes, Good Vibes, Good Life, and it's just a almost like a practical guide. To, to loving yourself. We've all heard this term, like you just need to love yourself and self-love is the key. But my whole thing was, well, what, actually, what does self-love mean and what does it look like? And it might not look the same for every single person. But what I'm offering with the, the first book is how you can create or improve your life by doing things that account for fall into the umbrella of, of self-love. So it's very practical. It's a very light read that will really get you started on your journey of personal transformation and then with the second book what we're doing is we're going deeper and what i found especially when people try and achieve certain goals or try and improve their lives is that they ignore a lot of how they're feeling deep down they don't address their limiting beliefs because they force themselves To think and feel positive. Mm -hmm. The reason the second book is important is because it's a practical guide to how you can start working on the impressions of the past that have shaped how you view the present and how you foresee the future. So it's all about making the present a lighter place to live in and the future a brighter place to move towards and that's how the books kind of connect the first book is a guideline the second book is an extremely practical guide it's it's very hard to try and put healing into a book because you know like we said it looks different for everyone mm. and you know it's never the same but this book isn't a book telling you or talking about it is a book talking about healing but it's not a book that just tells you about healing it's a book mm hopefully can show you how you can heal at least how you can get started in healing so i like to think of it as a experiential guide kind of having exercising and practical tools that people can actually use and apply in their everyday lives Mm -hmm. and make them kind of quite universal as well so for example Mm -hmm. when i talk about the self-care routine i haven't told you what you should be doing but how you can approach um the whole idea of creating a, a self-care routine so they're available in you know all places that books are sold um mm-hmm. and I'm on all social media platforms just under vex King so v x k n g um, but i share a lot of like practical tips i have a newsletter as well that goes out every sunday again i like to share practical tips because i think you know spirituality and practicality aren't that different mm-hmm. they just need a bridge that makes makes sense to people and that's what i try to try and do i try and make sense of life and then share my ideas with the world
1: uh, i do you know what what you've just done is a perfect articulate that pitch of your book which i'm i'm about to like do promotion for my book i'm just, like, in awe of how you've
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: explained something that is really abstract but that's exactly the tone of your entire book like you're as per like the middle part of our conversation you're dealing with some very very like abstract quite complex things to get your head around but the way you talk about it is the most normalized like least thank you yeah and, and that's a real skill to pare down these things into very very everyday I... language so you you just like reading it like last night i was just like I'm ploughing through this because, because I'm just like, I get it, I get it, I get it. And that's a real skill, so well done.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. My whole thing is dissecting all the, the wisdom and knowledge that's there into ways that are really accessible to people. Because I think if I want to reach as many people as possible, then the language, yeah. the way I recite things needs to be universally appealing and relatable, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what's the point of making sounds, making something sound really deep and profound that looks good on a tattoo or fridge magnet, but you can't. Apply them more <laughs> or not? To, you know, yeah, or not? Or to your to your everyday life. So you know, it, it can be tough, but you know, it's something that I try and work on within myself and with my work. <laughs> so you thank you doing for
1: that. <laughs> You're doing it. So two final questions to tie it back to the kind of themes of the podcast. So as you mentioned, honesty is like my absolute jam. Right. That's my thing. That's my reason. For most things that i do um and it's like a trait i most admire in other people what is your best trait and what trait do you most admire in other people
0: the the thing i admire about myself is my willingness to find solutions because i think it's gotten me this far and also when i work with other people i don't always know the answers like we said no one knows all the answers but I'm always willing to find something that works. And I've done it in my own life. Um, mm. I like to be challenged and I think it brings out the best in me. But I also like to, to, to help other people. So if someone comes to me with something, you know, I, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I don't know. I don't always know the answers. And I don't think, even if I did come up with the answer, it's going to be, you know, one size fits all. But I will always mm. go out my way to find a solution for that particular person. And I think that's probably one of my best best qualities. Um, The thing I admire about other people is, do you know what? Honestly, I was going to say tenacity, but I actually just admire kindness. Like I don't care about people's backgrounds. I don't care if they're famous, if they're rich, if they're, I don't know, like got superpowers. I just like kind people that, Mm. and I'm not saying that you have to be kind 24 seven because life's tough. No, But just people that genuinely want to treat people right. And if they can't, at least they're not trying to hurt other people. And I know that's difficult because if we've been hurt, we're going to automatically, even if we try not to, we're going to automatically hurt people to to some degree. But I think people that just genuinely want to be want to be nice and authentic themselves and just want to share that energy with other people. I really admire that. And it inspires me. I think it just inspires Mm. me to, to, to do it better
1: yeah and and the sad thing is kind people don't necessarily equal the most successful people but when you meet someone you're like wow you're a really good egg like you do know it you do and i hope that they therefore live the happier life this is also inspired by my love of a really big chat and for me a big chat is like a dreamy situation when you've got probably not very many people ideally some good food nowhere to be, definitely some sunshine. What yeah. would your, what would describe your situation for an ideal conversation? Like, what would that look like? How many people? Where would it be? What time of day?
0: My ideal conversation would literally, if I could get, in all honesty, I, you know, it doesn't seem like it because, you know, I'm all about my writings. So I'm not much of a, of a speaker unless it comes to like interviews or conversations, but I like, so- I love <laughs>
1: I don't really believe you. I'm sorry. I think
0: you're quite good at conversation. Um, But, you know, I love being around people. I absolutely love my family and friends. And my ideal kind of situation would be, the setting would be on a beach. And this might sound cliche, but maybe a beach with some scorching hot weather. I I love sunshine. I love a bit of warmth, as long as it's, like, tolerable. Um... And just being around my family and friends, having some music, some of them drink, some of them don't. If they want to drink, that's fine. And just being around them and just enjoying conversations. Like, I feel like I've got quite a big group of friends. And when I have them all around, there's usually like 15 of us. And, you know, I tend to, I I don't drink anymore, but I tend to move around between my friends. I'll talk to one person and I just every single time I speak to them, I learn something new about them or about their story. And I just love that. And I just love connecting with those closest to me and just feeling their energy. And, you know, my friends and family were there before, you know, I was an author, before I had this career, before all of that. Like they know who I am deep down and I know who they are deep down. So just being in that environment with all of them in a nice sunny setting, I think that would be probably ideal for me and just having a good time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we're both like, on my word this feels like the most abstract thing ever but hopefully this is coming back and also just a little shout out for not drinking you know i don't drink either anymore right. and the joy of a situation like that without alcohol is like you you remember every single bit and going back to the bit about the body when you have belly laughs now when it's stone cold sober your body remembers that like isn't that the mo- I always think that waking up in the morning and there's no, there's no negative there's no regret that belly laugh you felt with every bit of your body. Right. And I think the more time you spend not not numbing and not drinking, like I'm quicker to belly laugh now because I feel like my body knows how to get to that high on its own more. And I just yes. I just love the clarity of those moments now.
0: I think that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head because I said to myself, even when I stopped drinking, um, I said, I always rely. It's almost like you go to like, for example, a house party, um, and this is probably, I'm talking about my younger days and no one really talked to each other at the start. They have a few drinks and they start opening yeah. up. They start dancing. And I was thinking like, why do we, re- we rely on an external substance to get to that state? Yeah, like, like, is that the only thing I'm getting? And then I'm thinking, well, alcohol is actually quite costly. You go to a bar in London and say yeah. I'm having like a single vodka and Coke and it's costing over like 10 quid, which is the price of a book. And one yeah. thing's like, you know, not doing that that grateful my body and the other things like enriching my mind and you know helping me on my journey of healing so like which one's a better investment but I think you've just you know said it beautifully there like you eventually start to get to that that almost oh. that high that feeling of confidence and being comfortable with who you are much quicker and much yeah. authentically yeah. when you when you stop relying on the substance. Mm. whether it is alcohol or, or something else
1: yeah and, and it might not look like the version of you what well, didn't for me the version with several vodkas in me but it <laughs> but it is but it is the it is the, the real me and
0: it's the real you it's that it's almost yeah. like that that confidence that that you that curiosity all of that without the stum, stumbling without the slurring without yeah. all of that it's just without you. saying
1: things you don't mean and yeah and you know there's a reason some things that you wouldn't say sober because maybe they should stay in your head and that, exactly. i think that's it's it so yeah just a little not pushing the, the not drinking but i am always pushing it because for me it's been one of the greatest gifts to self-healing so i do want to champion it
0: yeah it it can be life-changing for so many people and
1: yeah
0: um, yeah and and you know there are people that probably do that might drink or like might like their drink and that's that, that's completely fine. I think as long as you have your, a healthy... I think it's all about creating healthy relationships, whether it's with mm. alcohol, food, within your personal relationships. It's always yeah. about managing those, those relationships and not using them to deny a part of who you are, your, your existence. And that, that's the key, I suppose. And that's yeah, where it that comes to,
1: the
0: to inner healing. Inner healing will help you, lead you to that place.
1: There we go. What a lovely, beautiful ending. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> what a, what a so conversation. Much. I'm gonna go and like try and pick apart so much of what we've talk, talk, spoken about. But I mean, I feel endlessly grateful to have had this time with you, but also just to have these conversations. Aren't we very, very lucky?
0: Thank you so much, Clemie It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and
1: you for having me. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. I could have talked to Vex for the rest of the day. We went deep, we went into it. I just felt like I'm really, really connected with him, which is just the nicest feeling. I wanted to take all of his life experience and his knowledge and his insight and just instill it into my head so that I can go about the world a bit more like he does. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I hope it gave you food for thought. I really do recommend both of his books, and if you've ever thought oh self-healing work is not something i'm interested in i think my my top take out of it is to urge you to think again and consider that maybe it is something that would be valuable for you because i really believe as i think Bex does that it's something for everybody anyway enough of me chatting thank you for being here please do join me next week and in the meantime have a lovely day